committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we're coming to you from the... Uh, the secret headquarters. The secret headquarters of NoCo Cinema, away from the uh, the main recording where recording area. Recording dome. Yeah. We're, in the, we're using the mobile disaster unit here. Absolutely. To just hang out and chat a little bit. Uh, we are still in the confines of Cook County, though, so... Yeah. So we're on brand. So we're on brand. And that's the most important thing. That's truly the most important thing. Uh, Thank you to everybody who's been listening to the Adirondack Film Festival interviews. Uh, It was really a lot of fun to do. Um, I had a great time at the festival, as you could probably tell from those interviews. A lot of really fun stuff. Both part one and part two are up uh, for some of those interviews. You can listen to a lot of really great filmmakers talk about their craft, all their all their shorts, features, what have you. Uh, Connor and I want to reconvene and talk a little bit about, as we get to the end of October, this sort of uh, 31 days of horror that we were trying to accomplish. And Connor, you've done a you've done a really good job. You've done a really good job for yourself. I'm about I'm still so shy though. I'm about I'm about eight films shy. It's hard. It's really hard to have uh to watch for me in particular, I don't know, it's just kind of hard to watch a horror movie every day. I mean, and I will do I would do days where I would double feature it and I've actually been noticing some physiological effects that this has been having on me. Really? I have uh I have had increased nightmares, more frequent nightmares. Um very strangely, I've been watching a lot of older horror movies in the latter half of the month and I noticed that it's been really taking me back to the nightmares that I've been having are very reminiscent of the kinds of nightmares that I would have when I was sick as a child. Okay. Um, and so it's been really strange to kind of revisit those. And I've also noticed that I haven't, uh, I haven't been, I guess, probably just directly related to it. I have not been as sleeping as well. So you, you've had uh, trouble sleeping. You know, you're having these like really vivid sort of old, old, old nightmares. Like what do you remember any of them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one that I keep having is very strange and it's, it's a move. It's one where it's kind of, it feels like a movie. I mean, they're very vivid, you know, you understand how that goes. And the way that it always starts out is I'm in a particular location, usually like a bayou, something that's near water. Mm. Um, and sometimes I'm in a bayou. Sometimes I'm next to a lake and going into a trailer or going into a, a house. Um, but once I get inside, this i always end up walking inside of a a thing and i get the feeling that something is chasing me is following me Mm -hmm. you know yeah and every time i get inside this place it opens up into this like new world practically it's this old mansion full of dark wood and it's all very gothic it's very poorly lit um none of the corridors make any sense Mm -hmm. all of the doors are locked 
and I'm suddenly I go through a door and I'm just stuck in the middle of this like labyrinthine mansion <laughs> and there is a little girl that is wearing a dress and she has this black puke surrounding her that's like streaming out of her out of her face and she doesn't move but it's something like everywhere i go she is there in front of me like i will turn down a corridor and, and that she'll be there she never like leaves my line of sight once i'm inside this like hellscape that's straight up that's straight up terrifying yeah and so i wake up and then that's that's when i crack the door open a little bit you know yeah yeah i mean but i've been having it i've been having it uh relatively frequently like once a, a couple times a week wow yeah so after having watched this many horror films you know would you say that it seems to be almost bad for your health in a way i'm not gonna watch a horror movie after this month for a while yeah that's for sure um there is just something about you know putting yourself in that situation i think that it's very it's good to feel it's a it's vulnerable you know you're putting yourself in a situation where you are willingly making yourself vulnerable which is in line with a kind of a resolution that i wanted to make for myself this year was i wanted to be you know watching cinema and in life you know be more comfortable with being vulnerable to people and and these sorts of experiences you know not not shying away from emotional experiences you know what i mean no i i get i totally get what you're saying i totally get what you're saying let's talk about some of the films that you watched uh maybe we can get to the bottom of what's really uh disturbing you because this i mean that's fascinating sure legitimately fascinating that this is having such an effect so um let's go let's go some of the highlights some of the ones that you really were like yeah i'm glad i took the time to watch this so i rewatched mom and dad which was a movie that you showed me um yeah, Nick Cage, with Blair. Nicolas Cage. Yep. Um we watched it when we were, took a little vacation uh last year around this time actually. Oh, was it the first time you had seen Mom and Dad? Yeah, I hadn't seen it yet. North? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, it was a good it was a good place to watch it too. And um, so I rewatched it and uh it's great. It's it's definitely got like a Night of the Living Dead kind of vibe, but it meets you know like something inexplicable starts happening yeah. which sort of changes for the worse changes people and it's funny and it's very it runs its premise very thin but not to the point where it's tedious it's a very compelling watch yeah, throughout ex- the entire I, I, movie i feel like it explores every facet of what they're trying to do without overstaying its welcome which yeah, is nice it's pretty short I'm, I'm yeah. guessing what about an hour and a half and it's always it's like a good like punk set or something you know it's yeah. like it makes you feel like you want more at the end of it which is really good for a movie that's so singular of purpose. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I very much. That was. I think that was even. Uh, I, you know, I watched it on Hulu first because it just happened to be on Hulu. I had heard about it. I'm a big fan of Nick Cage, big fan of Selma Blair. So I'd heard about it, watched it on Hulu, loved it, and then went and picked it up from uh, from like a. It was. I got it secondhand too. I was like, I can't believe that someone would buy this and like go either way to buy this and then not keep it. You know, it's a it's a very specific movie to have. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah, for sure. Like but it's a good buy. Yeah, it's a great buy. Uh, what else? So I've also I'm kind of just running down my list here. I noticed that I have been watching a an inordinate amount of what some might call pagan horror. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen a lot of people describe pagan horror with very stringent terms. Some people have gone so far as to say that the only pagan horror that's ever been made is The Wicker Man, the original yeah, the Wicker original Man. Wicker Man. 
So, but I, I consider it relatively pagan horror. Um, the, the movies that I would consider pagan horror, I watched The Endless, which is an mm. extremely interesting movie. It's not strictly horror, but it is horrifying. Um, and I hate, I know we were talking about this before, the term strictly horror is really annoying, but here yeah. we go again. True. Um, done by two people. It stars the people who directed it. It stars the people that were the cinematographers. It stars the people that were the editors of the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, it's a really, uh, you know, bo- both behind the scenes and in front of it. It's a very arresting, uh, you know, and a very arresting story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have I been watching? I watched Apostle with Dan Stevens. Yeah, I liked Apostle. Me too. You know who directed that? No, who? who? The guy behind The Raid. Really? Yeah. Um, what's his name? It is. It is. I know he's got a. He's got a similar. He, he's got a similar name to the guy who directed Rogue One and Monsters. Gareth. Gareth Evans. Yeah, Gareth Evans. That's it. There, it is yeah, Gareth Evans. Gareth Evans. Yes. So yeah, that was directed by. That was directed by him. Wow. I thought it was a very. I thought it was a very successful. Uh, sort of pagan horror thing yeah absolutely and Folk i think horror, i've noticed that some it. people have a thing with dan stevens where they don't they don't love him it's kind of a there's like a polarizing aspect yeah. about dan stevens for some reason yeah i mean sometimes you just get actors like that yeah i personally think i, I don't love everything that he's in but usually when i see him in something i'm excited that he's there well he's from what downton abbey he was in the excellent legion TV yeah, show with but he Noah was also Holly. the Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, he's <laughs> have had, you seen he, that picture of him in the mocap costume? Where yeah, it's like all fluffed up with pillows. And it's he's funny. in um, he's in Colossal. Really? Yeah. Oh, he's the boyfriend. He's the boyfriend. Col- the, yeah, yeah, the boyfriend wow. in Colossal. Yeah. Um, so he's good. In that. I think generally speaking, he's very good. And he's, I think he's great. He's got a really uh interesting track record with horror because he's also in The Guest. Is he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's in the guest. Oh, um, so he seems he seems to like the genre. He likes to do a genre picture here and there, and he really carries the movie. I mean, there yeah. are great performances all around, but he, you know, as the centerpiece of the film, I think he does a great job. Yeah, and the the CGI is done quite well. I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I have been. I've watched Hereditary. And I mean, yeah. I have to. This is only the second time that I've seen it, and my reaction to Hereditary the first time that I saw it was very much the reaction that I had when I watched Requiem for a Dream for the first time. Yeah, and it fucked me up in yeah. no uncertain terms. It just fucking destroyed me, and the, it's the familial part in the first hour or so that really does it to me. The girl, you know, the yeah. girl in the family is I'm getting, I'm just getting chills even thinking about what happened. And it makes me, it makes me want to cry. Yeah. Know? It's a very, it's a, uh, it's a movie that definitely deals in grief. But the thing I want to say about hereditary is I do think that it is the scariest movie that I've ever seen in my life. It yeah. is the movie that has physically frightened me the most. And I know that I said, you know, I've been having a lot of nightmares lately, sleeping with the door open that's not strictly true for every one that I've seen, but I did turn the hallway light on after watching Hereditary. Hereditary. Yeah. Me and my roommate watched it, and we were nervously chuckling and trying to bring some levity to the situation after that 
ending. If you've yeah. seen it, you know what you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it gets it gets very real. I think uh, upon subsequent viewings, I've found that obviously the the all, a lot of the focus goes to Tony Collette, who gives uh, a, an amazing performance. She's yes. incredible in it. But um, you know, I didn't even realize that the dad is Gabriel Byrne from The Usual Suspects. Yeah. And I, I totally didn't even get that on first pass because I was just so focused on Tony. And he was he was really good at just kind of playing the antithesis of it as yeah. being like much more the calm simmering anger that yeah, exactly. Yeah. The calm that eventually breaks. Yeah. And it's just so weird because everybody's giving like an a hundred and ten performance in that. Even the the son, yeah. the fucking kid from the naked brothers band. What? Yeah. That's I, I can't remember if it's if that's Nat or Alex Wolf, but it's one of oh, the yeah. brothers. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's him. It's Alex Wolf, I think. Yeah, he's he's great in it. Yeah, he is. He does a very good job. No, it's it's an incredibly horrifying film. Um, I, I I always feel bad because in the marketing they talk about it how it's it's the same problem that The Exorcist had, where everybody describes it as the scariest movie of all time. This is like or right. for in the case of Hereditary, it's the scariest movie since The Exorcist. So your your expectations are just so remarkably high right. that I know a lot of people went into that movie and walked out there just like that wasn't even scary. I'm just like, well what I, I you know, I I feel like a lot of people don't open themselves up. They don't make themselves vulnerable. I really liked what you said about like to really enjoy a horror movie you have to make yourself vulnerable right and it's something that you've talked about before which is kind of a cinema sin if you will is getting ahead of the plot yeah you can't do that yeah you can't try to think about don't don't think too hard about what's going to happen next um just kind of be in the moment with the characters and try to experience what they're experiencing you ever try to show a movie to your family members or something and they're just like, oh, this is going to happen. And they're right. And it's like, fuck you. Just watch the movie. Yeah. Just have a moment with me, all right? <laughs> yeah, no, all the time. Or I show them a movie that I really, really love, and they're like, uh, I don't get it. And I'm just like, and I, I mean... Thanks for trying. Just, yeah. Thanks for trying. That's all you can really say to them. Uh, so Hereditary is the scariest movie you've ever seen. It's the scariest movie you've watched this month. It's the scariest movie that I've watched this month. I, I know that it did get you know billed as the scariest movie of all time, but really for me, what drove me to it was the fact that Colin Stetson worked on it. Oh yeah, for the, the soundtrack, the avant-garde sexophonist, yeah, Colin Stetson, the, and it's great. The score is amazing, really, score. really good. It just interfaces so well with what's on screen. Do you do you feel that? Uh, I mean, Ari Aster, a lot of the a lot of the A twenty four crew, sure. like of these people that are the A twenty four is bankrolling. Um, People are kind of like, obviously, with any piece of art, there's backlash. There's sure. some people that really, really believe people that we know that actively like mock Ari Aster and really think that he's like a hack and really think that he has no talent whatsoever. Yeah, I've um, seen. Why, I've why absolutely is there such seen a, it. I was just gonna say, why do you think? Why is there such like an intense backlash? Is it because of the praise? Like for any any filmmaker that gets praised, there has to be some sort of like it's like Newton's law. There right. has to be the opposing force of people being like, actually, no, fuck you. Right. What your your taste is terrible. Well, I think it's almost an outrage that's like the product of just this regurgitated disdain for the normie or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's this. It's a twenty four has been killing it, and most of the movies that they put out, in my opinion, are good. At the very least, they're worth watching. Yeah. One time. Um. But with that, you have the wave of people who watch A24 and it's, you know, it 
takes I guess it takes a little bit of spotlight away from other independent, you know, film houses. And they've they're just kind of the king of independent cinema right now. Yeah, they've so definitely with built that, a cult of personality. And with that, you will get your detractors. And Ari Aster is I mean, you could give it to Robert Eggers, I guess, but I mean, within a year, Ari Aster has come out with two really unique well executed in my opinion horror films and he's getting a lot of very in my opinion due praise yeah for this so you're gonna get the detractors that come in and say oh well actually he's a fucking hack you know he just did the same he just made the same movie except one's at night in a haunted house and one is in the daytime in a cult yeah, even though I th- like, I would be like these are pretty far from the same movie in the sense that they're both dealing with very different things, right? And um, you can say that you know, I mean, what he's doing on paper isn't strictly original. I mean, you know what I mean? It's well, there's very no, there's nothing new under the sun, as they say, right? But it's the execution of the of the tropes that he's working within, yeah, that make Absolutely. it such a interesting and affecting watch yeah people to me to me it just seems that um obviously a24 represents a sort of new york cool and like kind of indie film cool that a lot of people have adopted for themselves like when i went to that screening of the lighthouse uh, which we'll talk about here in just a second um there were like at least six people wearing like a24 hats or t-shirts right and um i think there's a certain there's a certain idea that um in order to be like really um a cinephile or something you must also be somewhat anti-establishment sure and i'm not saying that's necessarily wrong i'm just i think it might be a little bit misguided when we it's it's a industry that where art and commerce have literally have to coexist in order for anything to work sorry that you know it's i to me it comes off as a little bit of people who want to be filmmakers who are jealous that there's a company that are bankrolling people that they might feel they might not like their movies but they have no choice but to like see them rise in in the the independent cinema world because they're being bankrolled sure and that's your prerogative if that if that's how it affects you then that is you know that's that's just well, just, being that's just part of life i guess i would just but, tell, i would just say like if you're really hating on a24 um may, maybe like examine why and also remind yourself that this is literally just a movie right um because once you, you don't have to like it but there's 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 a difference between not liking something and not finding it to be to your taste and then making it your mission to like right. spout as much vitriol as humanly possible about that's, it it's like i get it you don't have to like midsummer you don't have to you don't have to think that hereditary was scary right but you don't have to also have to call an emergent voice in the medium that we all love a hack yeah but because that's when you go from being a valid having a valid point and a valid coming from a actual you know defensible stance of criticism to gatekeeping which happens totally. a lot with horror is you get the gatekeepers who yeah. say well that's not horror that's just a family drama. It happens with happens with cinema. You know, yeah. we. I don't want really want to touch too much on it, but it's this is the whole discussion about the uh, Martin Scorsese thing, and 
couple i mean really which i think is hilarious i think it's insane us. it's how much it's spiraled out of control yeah. as like people <laughs> great. fighting about it but that i mean that's the sort of thing that people are talking about i i understand what scorsese is saying yeah but at the same time it is it is gatekeeping it is it is a way of saying what can and cannot be considered good entertainment right i um, mean it's literally a man or who, art a yeah. man who made movies that capitalized off of the blockbuster infrastructure that had been put in place during the new hollywood movement and he's raging against the very thing that gave him the platform to be able to say that in the first place and to create so it's like this hilarious oroboric cyclical thing that you can just keep going in on and in on and it's i think that's why it's such a great fodder for the memes yeah send me the memes i like them it was him and his cohorts maybe not so much scorsese himself but him and his people that uh you know his contemporaries that literally set up blockbusters as we know it yeah so it's it's not worth talking about but uh any big plans to finish off the month i'm going to go see robert eggers new film something that i've been very much anticipating because the witch was one of my favorite horror movies that i've ever seen i'm also i'm a i'm a bit of a period uh junkie i love big into that i really love the the world that he created and it it feels like i'm watching a fantasy film almost which you know there are fantastical elements to it but absolutely the lighthouse with willem dafoe and robert pattinson who has emerged as one of his generation's preeminent actors i'm blown away ever since ever since good time you've been you've been convinced i remember when you watched it yeah let's came back and you're like gotta see it yeah so let's hop into this a little bit um so this weekend i spent quite a bit of time at the movies playing catch-up uh i saw three films saw the lighthouse i saw Zombieland 2 and i saw jojo rabbit okay let's go from the reverse order there you want to start with jojo i want to end with the lighthouse all right let's start with jojo rabbit uh the lighthouse at the end of the tunnel as it were sorry <laughs> uh jojo rabbit um billed as the anti-hate satire in its marketing which mm-hmm. i think uh, first off, is a mistake. Don't don't put that out there. Uh, but I think they just kind of had to because um, they were afraid that if they didn't make it obvious enough that people would misjudge this movie. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it involves a young boy named Johannes uh, Jojo growing up in the waning days of Nazi Germany. Uh, as they are start as the the war is starting to turn against them uh he's a young member of the hitler youth and his imaginary friend is adolf hitler played by taika watiti um something to note i don't know how much how much this makes a difference to people uh it is worth noting that taika watiti was raised by jew has a jewish mother um and, and is his, also i believe of the maori yeah, people the so, yeah he's half people jewish half maori yeah so um to me it seemed like he had some sort of like he wanted to make his mark on his own view of of uh, Nazi Germany, um, and I think there's a lot of people that were really upset from the start. Um, it's for some folks joking about Nazi Germany, and he doesn't depict the Holocaust, but it involves uh, like he has. There's kind of like an Anne Frank situation where a young girls living in JoJo's house protected by her. Uh, his mom, played by Scarlett Johansson. The Holocaust is a looming threat. Yeah, it's it's acknowledged that it is happening. It is, and uh, JoJo is a part, uh, is ostensibly a part of that infrastructure as being part of the Hitler Youth. Um, so 
there's some people that really believe that uh, you cannot make movies, that you cannot make comedies uh, about um, this material. And to them, I would say, I hear you. Um, if if that is something that really sticks in your craw, do not see this movie. You know, I don't think that's a you don't you shouldn't have to change your mind if that's how you feel because it is such a, a devastating topic. Um, that said, I think it, it it's important to explore a lot of things. Um, I think it's important to explore a lot of things in cinema, and sometimes you have to do that from your own personal view. And I'm not saying that Taika Waititi thinks the Holocaust is funny or rife for comedic material. I think he uses uh, humor to try and explain combat it. Yeah, to combat it in a way, um, but more to explain the absurdity of the situation um, and try to find some sort of semblance of humor in, in what was going on. Um, I'll just dig into how I felt about it. I really like Jojo rabbit. I think it was the best one of the, the best movie I saw this weekend. Um, and lighthouse fans will probably be upset with me for that. Sorry about but, that lighthouse. Um, but, uh, Jojo rabbit, I really thought was a, uh, a really special film. Um, I'd be a liar if I said that it's breaking new ground. Um, obviously it's not going to change your, uh, like, uh, it, like your perception. You should, yeah. Perception. You should not like Nazi Germany was a bad thing. The Holocaust was a bad thing. There's no, there's no, there's no argument there. So right. really the question is what's the satire, right? I really think that folks are going in, going into this movie, expecting some sort of like expounding expose on, um, Nazis and how it applies to today and you know the kind of similarities that we're seeing um right it's despite being set in the 40s it feels relevant yeah it's it's incredibly relevant but to me i think that's not really what the movie's about um I, to me the movie is about what happens when children get caught up in things that are so beyond their years and things that they don't understand Really? Uh, yeah, and it's, and it shows how children are so malleable, and um, you know, are can be made to be evil. Yeah, they can be. People can be made to be evil. A child that is considered good can be made to be evil. Um, and uh, it's just kind of to me about how we fail children in a number of ways, and how um, the innocent are exploited for for any number of reasons now i think the big criticism that hold on can we talk yeah, about that for sure. a second because i think that that's really interesting taika waititi with the movies that he has made boy hunt for the wilder people even thor ragnarok i guess is i think that he does a very good job of creating a type of movie boy being a you know a familial drama uh hunt for the wilder people a buddy movie but he surrounds it in these things that obscure the true heart of the film. Yeah. And I think that what it sounds like you're saying is, sure, the backdrop of this is Nazi Germany. Sure, the backdrop of this is something that's very topical to the things that we are seeing emerge from our own society. But Mm -hmm. at the heart of it, there's a heart in, in every one of his films. And I think that's where the identity of the film comes from. And it's really interesting to hear that that this is about how we as individuals and as a society 
can fail children. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of talk about how it's a. I believe it was A.A. Dowd in the AV Club described this movie as toothless. Yeah, um, it does not. It does not really punish Nazis in any sort of meaningful way, which is you know it's not that kind of movie, I guess. Um, there is a little bit of I will cop to that. Uh, they have Sam Rockwell yet again playing the fascist with a heart of gold. Really, that he did in Three Billboards. Yeah, you know, and some people really enjoyed that performance and find it really interesting. Some people find it as a you know an apologist, right? Like they're Productive. Making, yeah, they're saying that it's uh, an- the, the the another complaint levied against Jojo Rabbit is that it's a Nazi apologist movie. I really think that that is if that. I mean, again, if that's how you really feel, I have not heard that. That seems extreme. There, uh, yeah, and I mean, when when we say they, and we're talking about the milieu of takes that are on the internet, you know, who knows right. really who these people are that are saying this? But it's it's something that has it's a complaint that I have seen levied against it. I think that is a misguided complaint because real realistically speaking, you know, this is a story about how complicated people are and um I don't think if you want to see a movie where Nazis get punished like go go watching Glorious Bastards, but then that has been considered uh, uh, in poor taste because of the way that it handles the material. Well, if you want to watch a serious Holocaust drama that doesn't pull punches, there then are just really, go watch Schindler's List. Go watch Schindler's List. Go watch. Uh, Son, uh, there's a great movie called Son of Saul. Go watch The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. I think that those things are important and do need to exist, but that doesn't mean that a different look at how this how a world functions and how people can be good and have a hopeful like it's okay to have a hopeful outlook on on bad times you know the movie ultimately has a hopeful outlook that like people can change and they can like hearts can change right like you don't have to be a nazi you can be a good person i mean that's how you kind of remain you keep some of yourself intact yeah after these such after these terrible distressing times but after just general discussion yeah, times but some people are really not big fans of jojo rabbit they think it's like uh just lacks bite it's i've heard self-congratulatory self-con- back padding sure if that's really how you feel about it like i don't know what kind of movie you want to see i really don't um if it's it's not toothless enough i don't or, or it's or it's too too uh too toothless too toothless like it's lacking in any sort of satirical bite um yeah, I don't know. There's there's other movies that have done it much more satirically, like The Producers, that gets brought up all the time. Right. Um, and there's a school of thought that says even that movie is misguided and um, in poor taste because it makes fascism seem funny. Right. But the thing is, is that it kind of is. That's it. Just, it's it just an depen- absurd. It depen- yeah, it depends on 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 your sense of humor. If you don't find it funny, then you're not going to like this movie. If you do not think that the theatrics of fascism or like, you know, a, a country part of the movie is the that, amount like, of the cognitive country- dissonance that it takes to actually adhere to a fascist. Right. Yeah, that's, agenda. that's a huge joke in this movie is that everybody's pretending everything is fine as like literally the allies are closing in on this little German town that they live in. And they're just pretending like they're putting kids in like paper, literally paper Nazi uniforms and giving them guns. And it's like that's where I think the satire is best, where it's like, oh, my God, how silly is it to see this child with a 
with a rocket launcher and he accidentally fires it into a building. But at the same time, it freaks you out because you're like, man, how close are how close are we to this? How close, you know, and look what was done. Look at what we do to children, how they get exploited for whoever is in charge. And they don't they're too innocent to know. They don't know. Right. Like. Um, not to spoil the movie too much, uh, you know, uh, Jojo essentially finds out that both his parents are uh, against our anti-Nazi party and they hid it from him right? because they, because they knew it was safer for him to be part of the Hitler youth and right. be a normal, a normal little boy and, and safe for Germany. the family. Yeah. Cause and that's what they cared about. Yeah. They wanted to get him while they were young. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, every, there's going to be a lot of opinions on it. Um, some people really just, they're just like, I can't, this can't be a movie. We can't do this. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the discourse around it and I'm really excited to see it. Yeah. Um, but just give it a fair shake and just remind, remind yourself, um, to try and look past the window dressing of, yes, this is, is this is set in Nazi Germany. Um, but really what are they trying to talk of the film? Yeah. What are they talking about? You know, why is this, why is this being set in Nazi Germany specifically? And, and really also when you go past that, what is the, what are the characters experiencing? So that's really engaging, Tom. I'm glad that you shared that. Yeah. Um, next I'll go to zombie land two, uh, which is an exercise in why futility. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. I, I like the original zombie land. I think it is a pretty fun movie. Um, obviously it's got a lot of people that are really fun to watch. You've got Jesse Eisenberg, you've got Emma stone, Woody Harrelson, uh, Abigail Breslin, um, Billy, Bill Murray. Yeah, Bill Murray. Um, <laughs> which they do they do address that. No it's, way. It's That's so well, funny. I guess of course they would. Yeah. But. So I mean that came out uh ten years ago. Yeah, two thousand nine, right? Which itself was kind of at the tail end of the Apatovian like peak of comedy right yeah and really to me at the end we were getting close to the end of like peak zombie culture because let's let let's remind ourselves that like zombies were kind of out of fashion for quite a while right like obviously like you know it was whatever yeah zombie movies were around you got Shaun of the dead right well i mean i am legend isn't a zombie movie what they're vampires oh yeah but anyway, anyway, so basically, <laughs> basically you get to the early 2000s and you get two you get two things. You get the Dawn of the Dead remake by Zack Snyder and you get Shaun of the Dead. Uh, and it kind of makes zo- these movies make zombies like cool again. Like liking zombies becomes like a really in fashion thing to do. To do zombie themed stuff becomes really in fashion. And for uh, the better part of that decade, like zombies are super cool. People are wearing like it's like everything is zombie jokes. You go to Hot like, Topic. Yeah, it's you zombies. go to Hot Topic, it's all zombie-themed everything. Like, it was just a hot thing to do. There was an influx of zombie movies. I mean, really, you could even try to trace it back to, like, 28 Days Later. Right. Which is, again, not s- technically a zombie movie. They're, they're, it doesn't matter. It's a zombie movie. Yeah. but And um, I'm going to go ahead and say, you know what? Fuck that. I Am Legend is a zombie movie. I mean, I, I know they're not... so, yeah. They, they just behave like more like zombies than what I, you imagine vampires. It uses, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It uses, just, it uses the, 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 the aesthetic and the ideas of zombie movies. It's just that technically they're technically vampires. They're, vampires. they're anyway, infected. Whatever. Anyway, but it's interesting to hear about the two parts of this movie. It's a comedy and it's a zombie movie. They're kind of... Zombieland, the original in 2009, was kind of at the tail end of both. 
yeah, the, the things that they were implying. Yeah, the the zombie the zombie like craze was really starting to wane a little bit. It was getting like okay, we get it. Zombies are fun, and like doing the postmodern take on zombies was like kind of like okay, we did this five um, years ago with Shaun yeah, the Dead. Yeah, it's not really super funny anymore. But I think it's a decent movie. I think Zombieland's a pretty decent movie, and oh, obviously yeah. it launched um, the career of the director. As far as that all, all is concerned. Yeah, and I went back to watch it not that long ago, um, just through something on, because I think it's on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. it's fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a pretty fun movie. I mean, he got to he got to uh, direct Venom, like, because of that. Um, you know, it was, it was a movie that gave him a decent amount of, uh, of leeway. He ended up directing the pretty terrible gangster squad. Yeah, um, I remember that. But anyway, uh, so it, it was this movie that was kind of like almost too late for its own good, but still entertaining enough to be. And and it it, it was pretty clever. Um, the writing was pretty good. I thought it was funny. It yeah, was, it was whatever. So now we're ten years later, and uh, <laughs> and it, the corpses are just even more desiccated. Yeah, <laughs> they try. They they definitely do some different stuff, but it's more or less. It's kind of just a rehash of the original while still being like pretty entertaining honestly i if it were any other cast if it were any other group of people playing these characters it would probably be like one and a half stars i give it three out of five i think it's about about on par you're gonna give it a d well not a a c yeah i'm giving it like a it's straight down the middle i think entertaining um they do some cool stuff but like it's also it also seems like they really slapped this together just like hey man you know it's been 10 years since we did the last Do your one. schedules work out this time yeah can, can we make this just happen um i think a lot of the effects were not great like you know the original one had some pretty good kills and everything this one less so um it has less of that fun but it's it's a, a rousing cast of characters they try to explore some of the they try to like complicate the characters a little bit or at least complicate their relationships but it never goes quite far enough for it to be satisfying or anything um they they do a lot of you know, like uh, they introduce a new t- new types of zombies uh, like these kind of super zombies that they call the T eight hundred. What is this Left for Dead? Basically, yeah, it's they basically do, like it, the video game. It like, feels like a video game with the pop up, you know, tutorials and stuff. Yeah, with all the rules that pop up and yeah. everything like that. So, I mean, nothing. It's it's really nothing new. How was I, I'm curious about how was the because you know the trailer you couldn't really avoid it. How were the the bit where they bring in the people where it's like it's the woody harrelson proxy you know what i mean it was it was pretty funny like they do that yeah they was do a it? bit with uh luke wilson and thomas middleditch as yeah. being um you know tat the, the as a riff on like how every zombie movie is kind of the same yeah and also just like the doppelganger thing right is, is always a classic joke but like also kind of tired a oh lot dude of the jo- it a lot makes, of the jokes in this movie are pretty tired it immediately reminded me of Shaun of the dead where they show they up do the exact same bit yeah, yeah and it's the people from space and martin freeman and all the way back yeah it's just the and same just the doppelgangers so it's it's the exact same gag basically but just with two of them um the doppelgangers yeah so uh one of the things that i found incredibly like uh, kind of like tacky about this movie is that it pretty much takes every opportunity possible to shit on like 
uh, Gen Z people, Generation Z. So like the the people that are younger than millennials, right? And and gen, I mean, it kind of gets into millennial stuff, but like, uh, it's a, they pretty much take every opportunity they can to make fun of how stupid young people are, and how like. Well, that's just a great way to get young kids to go see your movie. Well, it's it's what breeds people who are just like, oh, I was born in the the, the wrong generation, the <laughs> wrong generation, you know. And I that's wish what, I was born in the forties. Yeah. There's like this there's like this whole subplot about how Abigail Breslin's character I mean it's an interesting setup. She feels like trapped. She's a young woman. She feels confined. She's never really known anything other than the zombie apocalypse world. So she wants to go out and find people her own age because she's just been hanging out with like these full on adults. Right. Uh, specifically Woody Harrelson who treats her like a like a like a little girl, like a daughter. Right. Um and she feels confined. So it's interesting it's an interesting setup, but really she winds up, you know, hanging out with they make fun of uh like college hippie, hippies that go to Berkeley like she hooks up with this dude who's from berkeley he's a total hippie passes off bob dylan songs as his own like <laughs> smokes a ton of weed and everything like that and they uh and the, i've got some stuff you should read kind of guy yeah yeah it's totally stupid and he's a pacifist right so basically the joke being that like in a world where there's literally things out trying to kill and eat you, all these Gen Z kids are living in like a hippie commune, so ignorant of like anything. They melt, so they melt down everybody's <laughs> weapons, and uh, when the this, this horde of like super zombies shows up, they have no weapons to fight with, and it's up to the pe- the 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 people who know the reality of the world right. that you to have protect to protect them. You have to you use violence in order to combat yeah. violence and i don't know it fits within the the confines of the story and the world that they've built for themselves and right. it is kind of funny it's like yeah you're living in a totally ignorant bubble where it's like dude there's literally zombies out here why would you try why would you be a pacifist right that sort of thing so um and also the introduction i, I zoe deutsch plays like this total ditz that's kind of interesting like she's actually really funny and uh, but it's like definitely comes off as a lazy character where it's just like, yeah, isn't it funny how girly girly she is, and she's so stupid. That's all she is. She does. She's just like really stupid. It sounds very slapped together. Just it's every aspect of this sounds slapped together. But I will say, I found it pretty entertaining. Yeah, like the performances are all there. Emma Stone is kind of losing the me as a uh, girl with a chip on her shoulder. Like it's not really that. Like, no funny anymore to me or, or it's super entertaining. But it, I mean, it's consistent. Abigail Breslin's a surprisingly bad actor. Really? Yeah. She's an Oscar winner, and she's probably yeah. a bad actor. Wow! <laughs> and, and what is it about it that makes you think that it's bad acting? I don't know. She just the, the a lot of the is line she deliveries like tired or just a lot not, of the line deliveries are super flat. Like you know, it's, it's just not super. She's not fun to watch. She's kind of doesn't like seem to like being there at huh. all. Which is weird because in the original Zombieland, she was a delight. Um, so who knows? Maybe she's gonna pull like an Ed Norton and just get involved in cryptocurrency or some stupid <laughs> shit. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I will say it is pretty shocking that they managed to get all these people 10 years later to be in a movie after uh, two of them have won. Abigail Breslin had already won an Oscar uh, when she was in the first one. But um, get all these people together, uh, two of whom are Oscar nominees and two of whom are Oscar winners to be in um, kind of a silly zombie movie. So it's not bad. I think it's fine. But it's forgettable, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, but if you like the material and if you like the characters, you think they're funny, like you'll probably enjoy yourself. It's not a bad way to spend an afternoon, honestly, if we're being completely honest with ourselves. But it does give an interesting look into like, this is what, you know, uh, do do all movies deserve sequels? I didn't really need a sequel. The to answer Zombieland. The f- is yes. I know where you're going <laughs> with this, Tom. 
So, I, I mean, the original Zombieland is fun enough. I own it. I, I watch it from time to time. I think it's an entertaining watch. Um, it's a movie that I watch with my aunt a lot. Oh, we, really? uh, we sit down and we watch Zombieland and we throw marshmallows at each other. Really? Uh, that's a thing. That is a real thing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Me wow. and Aunt Carol. Shout out. Shout out, Carol. All right. So, The Lighthouse. We finally reached it. Yeah. Robert Eggers. Uh, Long-awaited follow-up yeah. to The Witch or The Vitch. It's, this is okay. I got to say this right now. Um, this goes for the witch, and this goes for Midsummer. If you pronounce Midsummer Midsummer, stop it. <laughs> just say Midsummer. You're not clever. It's it's just stylized. Like yes, that's how it is written. That's how it'd Mids, be written. But just call it. Are you Midsummer. Swedish? Yeah. Are you Swedish? <laughs> it literally means. You know what Midsummer means? Midsummer. Just say Midsummer. Whoa! It's a cognate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just say Midsummer, and then when it comes to. Uh, <laughs> If you say the the vitch, yeah, Tom. If you're not pronouncing the space in between the W, then you just haven't fucking. It's lived. just so stupid because it's just stylized <laughs> that way because it's a period piece, right? And that's how they would have written "witch" was with two V's, you know. But it's pronounced "witch." Just say the witch. You're not. You're not like so, You're not in on it. You I know. I'm feeling attacked right now. You should feel attacked. I feel only, because you, I pronounce it the witch. I say the witch. Guys. Yeah, Come but on. there are people out there who's like, oh yeah, the vavitch. Even if you say it jokingly, like, oh yeah, what's well, the vavitch? If just you say, say the, the vavitch, I'm gonna log into your Reddit account and downvote all of the funniest things. So your <laughs> your, your algorithm <laughs> is gonna be fucked. Memes. All your saved fucking memes. So the lighthouse. Uh, pretty simple setup. Two dudes. Stuck two dudes it. one phallus <laughs> what happens <laughs> two dudes one lighthouse uh yeah it's a it's a pretty remarkable film shot in um i'm not really sure what the aspect ratio is uh, i'm not very keyed in on that but it's shot at li- like a square sure um kind of like, like a silent s- movie yeah kind of kind of like that vibe uh very old school very he's robert eggers is leaning hard into the period piece thing uh much like the witch if you are not paying attention to the dialogue and like you really have to be paying attention to what they're saying because one they're uh using incredibly archaic language to our ears like obviously it's not it's not not english you can understand what they're saying but the 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 syntax the terminology is all completely like very very old i read an interview with robert eggers where he said that he reads like mid century old english literature you know like old with the e at the end english literature for fun yeah this is like that's his bread and butter yeah i'm guessing this would have taken this movie takes place somewhere around maybe the turn of the century if not a little bit older um in a time when lighthouse keeping was like an essential job um that sort of thing but um yeah it's willem dafoe it's robert pattinson on an island uh with a and keeping a lighthouse and things just get totally weird and it's just the setup right there is such an interesting it's such a it's such an arresting concept because there are so many things that you can play with immediately right the idea of being a lighthouse keeper is so distinctly it feels so distinctly american almost you know you got that like i just imagine like an old lighthouse on the eastern seaboard you know? i mean it's very much that yeah and, and he captures it beautifully and it also you know starts there's something mythical about it because it is of such an older period compared to where we are now mm-hmm. but you have things like mermaids and the old all of the mythology that surrounds being a person of the sea yeah yeah, very much so, and that's very important. And um, that immediately just comes to my mind when I yeah. when I heard about the idea of the lighthouse. It's like, okay, it's going to be 
claustrophobic. It's going to be mythological, straight mm-hmm. up mystic. Yeah. It's it's a movie that um, is very, very distinct in what it's going for and uh, how it presents itself. And it's definitely not for everybody. It's really not for everybody. I mean, this is going to be a movie that, you know, general, generally speaking, cinephiles will praise because sure. it is impeccably shot. It is... Kind of is somewhat obscure as to what this movie is go- what is going on in this movie it's really uh, a rich uh text to kind of dig into and try to figure out like what is happening and what what's going on but really the the whole thing is that the uh, central performances are are so anchored and so well thought out um willem dafoe and robert pattinson depict madness in a way that really makes people uncomfortable um I, i'm really interested to hear people if they got the chance to see it this weekend um, what the reaction of the audience was like, because when I saw it at the music box, there were people like, I mean, there are laughs throughout it. There's like some silly things like there's literally fart jokes. There's like fart and poop. Of jokes. course, because they're heavy drinkers. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and Willem Dafoe is like this old sea dog, you know, sort of guy. And he just doesn't care and all that kind of shit. Uh, but uh, there were many points, even when things started getting to me really horrifying and really like uncomfortable Uh, uncomfortable people were like straight up like cackling with laughter and i don't know if that was because they were enjoying the madness or they were thinking oh my god this is so weird (laughs) like how crazy or um they just thought it was stupid who knows so i'm I'm very curious to see what people's reactions are to this movie uh all i know is, is that this is probably gonna wind up in like best pictures of the year because it's just it's just uh pretty remarkable but it won't win oh yeah it's not gonna get nominated for best picture or anything but i think when people talk about the best movies of the year lighthouse is gonna be in the conversation especially for performances like willem dafoe and uh robert pattinson just go off um i think pattinson has some trouble with like accent early on uh you kind of can't like set on what kind really? of accent he's going to do. Interesting. It's, it's, well, it's difficult because, you know, people at that time, accents were entirely different. There was still a lot of British influence on, uh, especially if we're talking the upper Eastern seaboard, um, like people in Maine, like probably had a little bit of like British influence on their accent. Where Irish, let's be honest, Irish that's influence. probably where the lighthouse was, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, they don't specifically say, uh, or at least I can't remember them specifically saying where it is, but it's to be implied that we're talking like coast of Maine or something like that, you know? Um, but uh, it's it's really one of those difficult things. Depicting madness on film is very difficult to get right because it either teeters into schlock schlock or like comedy right and you don't take it seriously i think this was kind of a great blend of both in terms of the performances um if you can see it at the music box because the presentation is beautiful um they do a re- it's a, it's a really cool thing to be watching this like classical movie you know this the this movie sh- you know shown in the music box yeah um in that environment uh I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I feel like it's a movie that everybody just needs to see and just make up your mind about it. Yeah, like it, just it's crazy. It immediately strikes me. I can just I can already tell. I mean, I have not seen it yet, but it immediately strikes me as something that I am going to love, and I'm just very excited to see it in general. But like my mom would think it's insufferable. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, she'd be like, "What is this like art shit?" Yeah, you know? fuck, fuck off, Connor. Let's watch Notting Hill again. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah so that's what i watched this weekend um and then next i i i've not gotten to see parasite yet which i really want to see parasite um and then i can't believe i'm saying this uh i gotta see terminator next weekend <laughs> terminator no dark way. fate talking about does talking about franchises that just are talking like about running why. themselves into the ground and yet still keep getting up it's fucked up how like terminator salvation was the best sequel like that they've done in the last 10 years probably yeah and honestly that movie is pretty maligned i'd say yeah i really don't think it's that bad i think it's all right it's some missteps yeah i like it i think it's a decent enough uh terminator sequel but um yeah man like you you like speaking every- of bad actors can amelia clark act no the answer is no <laughs> uh at least in anything other than game of thrones apparently like she's just really bad in pretty much everything except for game of thrones yeah um and some people don't even like her in game of thrones i think she's a bad actor i think Uh, it's i think i think the performances are kind of flat but anyway the the cool thing about dark fate is they brought back the original sarah connor yeah yeah which has not happened since what three she's she's no uh linda linda hamilton is only in terminator one and two so is this sort of a retcon like they did with Halloween? Is this like oh, a direct this is exactly what it is? You that you hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what this oh, is. This great. is a direct sequel to Terminator Two. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, that's actually okay. Well, okay. I mean, that doesn't necessarily solve the problem because, like, I, I feel like no, I feel but... like the Terminator movies have just kind of lost sight of what is actually good about them, and they're 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 totally like pushing that Arnold Schwarzenegger is back, although like he wasn't just in the last one. Yeah, he's in like every he, single fucking one. Yeah, he was the, in, uh... I think the only one he's not in is he's not physically in Terminator Salvation. Yeah, he is. He gets copied. He gets copied, but that's not physically him. Oh, it's not him. No, it's he CGI. is not in it. His it's likeness like, is in it. Right, but. It's him. Come on, like it's. If we're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, he did not act in that. No, movie. but the pre- his presence, like his. Well, yeah. The the fact that he, his visage appears in it. You know, there is no Terminator without that. Without face. Ar- without, without the face the of the governor of Darn- from, Cal- but, from California. But he he is he like they're acting like he was not in Terminator Genesis. I think they'd really rather prefer that that movie just gets forgotten completely. Um, but it's also a reuniting between Arnold and Linda Hamilton. Um, uh, James Cameron is back as like producer? executive producer or producer or something. Apparently the story is by him, but like n- he's not nearly involved enough to like actually make this. I don't, I don't know how involved he is uh, if he's involved enough to actually make this a good movie, but we'll just have to see. Um, I doubt it. it I'll bet he's too interested in the four thousand Avatar sequels yeah. that he's doing. I don't know. His his career has gone just a weird place. Yeah, just a weird place. He basically just doesn't give a shit anymore about. Yeah, <laughs> making what's the what's the last movie he made? The last movie he Avatar. made was Avatar. Yeah, twelve years ago. It's just nuts. It's like Tool. Oh my god! Start off strong and then just disappoint everybody for twenty years on. Oof. Oof. Yeah, that's All rough. Right. So let's uh, let's close up that bag. Uh, thank you, Connor, for sharing your horrible nightmare dreamscape. <laughs> yeah, you're you're welcome.